Hi everyone. My name is Elaine Lai. I'm a rising fifth-year PhD student in religious studies at Stanford, focusing on Buddhism. Although I wear many other hats, this podcast is the first of a two-part series on queer joy and community resilience. Voices from Stanford. Our conversation today features five members of a student group here called Refuge: Queerness, Spirituality, and Religion. My friend Mata started the group at the beginning of the pandemic, and I've had the privilege of both participating as a member and also being invited to speak on a panel titled "Queerness and Buddhism" this last spring. As the 2022 academic year has come to a close, and Mata, along with many others, are graduating, I wanted to create a time capsule for Refuge for all of us to look back on and to remember the work. Conversations and aspirations that were created in this community to offer a source of refuge for other queer folks trying to cultivate joy and a deepening relationship to spirituality or religion. I am so so appreciative of the wisdom, insight, and heart shared by all members of this group, and I'm delighted to share the conversation with you all. You'll hear us talk about a range of topics, from setting up home altars as sacred spaces, to religious or spiritual practices that we resonate with, to challenges to queering religious and institutional spaces. You might also hear Bardo, Mata's dog, running around and barking occasionally. Three of the five refuge members who have partaken in this conversation requested anonymity, so we have omitted their names and, in some cases, changed their voices to respect their wishes. This podcast is made possible by the Critical Consciousness and Anti-Oppressive Praxis Program that I'm a part of, which is hosted by the Office of Inclusion, Community, and Integrative Learning at Stanford. May it be a source of inspiration and joy for all of you listening out there. And if you enjoy this podcast, tune in to part two for a conversation with my friend Vivek Tana, who wrote a groundbreaking dissertation clearing up religious studies. Without further ado, I just wanted to start maybe going around, and you can introduce your name if you want. You can also keep it anonymous.、Uh, the pronouns that you prefer. And、uh, yeah, your relationship to Stanford, your if there's a spiritual or religious tradition you identify with, and how you're feeling today. Yes, I'm Sequoia. I use she/they pronouns, and I am a senior graduating in the Black Studies department at Stanford. I am a queer person who's becoming newly acquainted with a lot of the practices of my ancestors and learning a lot there.、Um, I'm feeling very like gentle and lovely today. Like the sun and like animals, I just feel like I'm in a little storybook. <laughs> so I feel great today. I'm very happy to be here. My name is Matthew. I also go by Mata. My pronouns are he, him, and they, them. I am a graduating senior at Stanford, and I'm the founder and current coordinator of Refuge, which is the queer spirituality program we're talking about today. I was not really raised religious. Some vague Catholic missionary influence came to my family,、um, so I was sent to a Catholic kindergarten by my parents. But when I was around 15, I found my own way to Buddhism. And after a few years of study, 
and practice and deep searching, I decided to formally take refuge in Buddhism in October of 2021. Um, and today, I really resonate with what Sequoia shared. Today feels like a storybook day. The sun is so beautiful. There's a bit of wind blowing. We're sitting in this beautiful place right now having this conversation. I'm healthy. We're healthy. My dog is healthy. Mm-hmm. It feels like a really lovely reprieve from what was a pretty anxiety-inducing couple of weeks preceding this day. Hi, I'm a senior, and I use they, them pronouns, and I I grew up religious, and then coming to college and coming into my own queerness really made it difficult for me to, like, to think of my religious upbringing. But I started realizing myself as spiritual a lot more. And this year, Refuge has been a space where I've realized how my queer friends and I are all have like our own practices that are spiritual and that I'm already living like very spiritually. And it made me feel so much more grounded. And I'm feeling heavy today. I feel tired, but usually being in session with everyone in refuge gets me more in my body and more grounded. So I'm excited to reflect on how I feel at the end of this. Uh, hey y'all, I'm a senior. I use they them pronouns and I've also been exploring my own spirituality, getting more in touch like Sequoia said with my ancestors practices. I also feel heavy today. Um, and I guess just angry. Uh, the coloniality of this institution, but I'm always angry about that. Besides that, it's really nice outside, so I like that too. Hi, I'm a freshman at Stanford. I'm not really sure what I'm studying yet at all. I'm currently exploring uh, my religion and spirituality, just trying to find what works best for me. And today I'm feeling pretty good. It's been a hard week, but I'm feeling really proud at the end of it, so. I'm feeling good. Before we begin some of the questions for everyone, Mata, could I invite you to just say a little bit about Refuge as a group and then how this group formed, your aspirations for it, et cetera? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, In my first year at Stanford, I, I very quickly noticed and spent a while confirming an important observation of something that was lacking here and and maybe far beyond Stanford as well, which was a place or an institution that could hold the spiritual needs for all LGBTQ people, all people who experience either sexual, sexuality-based and or gender-based marginalization of any kind. Um, I noticed that this was coming from two directions. Of course, many, if not all, religious institutions historically or currently practice or preach deep homophobia, queerphobia, transphobia. And for that reason, many people who are LGBTQ plus have turned away from religious institutions because of that violence, because of that marginalization. And righteously so. Some even taking it to the point of practicing or feeling or experiencing religion, faith, or spirituality at all as being actually anti-queer. In my own experience, I think my life was saved when I found 
that my queerness and my spiritual path were one in the same, leading me to the same life of purpose and service for people who I love, people who I'm in community with. And I really wanted to share that. So after my first year at Stanford, I decided if I'm not going to make this and it, there's an absence of it right now, then I should just shut up and just make it. Um, so I did. And I started up the program with two different departments at Stanford, one called Queer Student Resources and the other called the Office for Religious and Spiritual Life. And very quickly, Refuge grew to be a, a large community. And what I've really learned from that is that there's a real, in many ways, dire need for this, for a queer spiritual home, at the risk of sounding cheesy, for a refuge um, for a refuge, for a queer spiritual refuge. So my hope for this program, for this fellowship, for this organization is to provide that. And I think we can unlock infinite social transformation if we can provide this for each other, if we can build a refuge in which we can find that synthesis of our queerness and our spirituality together, which really, um, at the end of the day, I think are one and the same. that. I'm gonna um, jump around a little bit in the questions just hearing what you said, Mada. And I wanted to ask <coughs> each of you if there's maybe just your relationship with refuge and maybe to ground it in a story if you have a particular memory, either with another refuge fellow or maybe with uh, an event or speaker or something that has been a source of inspiration for you or connection. Um, well, I'm a freshman, so this is my first year being involved with Refuge, and it's definitely been, like, one of the best things I've found here, like, for sure. It definitely was, like, the first, like, open and, like, safe religious space I think I've ever been in, and um, one thing in particular I remember that I feel like is going to stay with me for a while was one of our panels, the queerness and African traditional slash like diaspora religions panel and it was there were three speakers and it was partly through zoom and it helped me take away some of the like preconceived notions about what religion had to be that was putting like a boundary between me and my spiritual journey mm-hmm. and that panel gave me a lot of hope and a lot of excitement for what spirituality can be uh, so I think that was one refuge event that I really loved. Um, That panel was also very impactful for me and we talked a lot about a lot of these like African diasporic practices that that emphasize personal and community connection to to the divine and the various deities that that carry feminine masculine X energies that are very powerful and embodying that energy through altar making, through just altar practice and altar etiquette that I'm developing in a very personal way, as well as like seeking out confirmation and understanding that it exists just in the world around us through like colors, through nature, through um, through like energetic pull. I, intuition is extremely big for me and I've been committed to to engaging with my intuition despite this institution for my four years of being here. 
Um, and this is also a very intuitive space. I remember getting the email about it. I remember exactly where I was during COVID and I was in a Pete's coffee and I saw the email and I sat down and I just did the entire application because I felt called to it without ever having really engaged intimately with Mata before this. So that was just such a beautiful opportunity to sit with people who had, had really committed themselves to this um, that pushed me to further explore that and to recognize that that is, that is so powerful that without a lot of blatant knowledge on the roots of, of the various religions, that the energy is so strong that it has impacted me and, and people in my communities here. Um, and I think that's just a very beautiful part of refuge is the, the infinite scape of, of religion and the infinite scape of spirituality that we're all experiencing together. And there's a sense of curiosity amongst all of us um, as well. And naturally a sense of support, I think, comes from that. Like it feels very good to, to feel curious and it feels good to have others be curious about you. And at the intersection of spirituality and queerness, there is a lot to be curious about. So... That was definitely very, very transformational for me as well. Also, similarly to what you were saying, Sequoia, and like along the same lines, when I saw the email, it felt like it was just the right thing at just the right moment in my like life and spiritual journey. I don't feel if the timing was different, I would have applied as enthusiastically as I did. And it just felt right. And a lot of what I've developed throughout Refuge was just the trust in my intuition mm-hmm. and like a lot of the knowledge I need because I, I came in with a lot of questions and a lot of like how are we consolidating this theology of religions to like see what what we want like what are the practices we're gonna have but then I realized like in a lot of ways the knowledge already exists and I just need to see it and to, to know that and to observe myself as I am and observe my friends as they are and see their spiritual practices and mine and learn from them and have them learn from me and then share moments of of really spiritual connection meant a lot to me. Can I um, just ask one follow-up question for folks who are searching for communities or ways to tap into this intuition like in a group. Did you find that coming to this group where there's certain practices you did together or like ways of communicating or how how was this space conducive to presencing that part of yourself that's a hard question because it to me refuge was a space where there are a lot of people i really trust and are like Mm -hmm. entering it and those are people i've had conversations about spirituality with and feel inclined to have more Mm -hmm. But I also really appreciated a lot of the art sessions and putting our safety first and like building the space yeah. intentionally around our needs and wants. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of meditations yeah. that Mara was leading, beginning of things would really like slow down the time, bring us together. Um, I think for me, like you said, there was already a lot of people who I knew and trusted when I entered the fellowship, but intentional time to sit with like you both have discussed mm-hmm. intuition. Audrey Lord talks a lot about the, she says the considered phrase, it feels right to me is like a form of praxis. Mm-hmm. And I think leaning into that has been really important to me. I think allowing myself anger, I'm um, taking a, a class about the work of Bell Hooks, which has been really also influential in thinking in shaping my thinking, not just about my anger or my present anger, but 
the generations of pain that the women in my family have experienced and have been robbed of expressing or getting out. Um, for me, being able to journey through refuge while also being in dialogue with the work and thinking not just of Mata, but of about Hooks and other writers and theorists, and also just like the theorists in this room. Like you said, Sequoia, like people who are curious about you and about each other also felt really important. And I think intimate, curious space makes for really honest questions, which I appreciate. I was wondering if I could ask one follow-up question for you, because this is something actually Karan and I in the Buddhist community at Stanford, we engage with this topic of anger quite a lot. Um, what are what are some healthy outlets you found for the expression or manifestation of that anger? Um, I think for me it's been really important to have like affirming witnesses to that anger. I think especially here at Stanford when like the institution and a lot of people at this school will seek to like gaslight you or pretend that racial or colonial harm is not occurring being able to discuss your frustration and anger and to affirm like this has harmed me i'm not crazy that is deeply i think important to the healthy expression of anger um i've heard the saying also that underneath anger is grief lots of grief and part of grieving is also like acknowledging the body and like the blood being placed in the situation. I think especially in like institutions of higher education, like language is often used to kind of euphemize violence. Um, but yeah, I think enlightened and affirming witnesses are really important. And also not internalizing that and punishing myself for being angry. I have a question, a larger question that might be a little uncomfortable, so feel free to abstain from engaging with this, but this is something we were just talking about yesterday in our community meeting with the Buddhist community at Stanford, is how, as you were saying, there, the violence at Stanford is kind of, did you use the word euthanized? Euthanized, yeah. But through this weird, this geometry and like very, particular cultivation of the lands and the prestige and everything. And I'm just wondering, because I, I feel that uh, uh, a lot of people are suffering deeply because of this total disconnect with the land and then with their own bodies as a result of being here. And I'm just wondering if you would be willing to share anything about your experiences in this space on Stanford and how you've tried to balance those contradictions or how you've tried to maybe heal the space here even if that's a possibility to heal an institution like Stanford is a question I have yeah I really felt what you just said about anger and being conditioned as like a woman and as a racialized woman and having essentially every emotion you express be like a statement and a violent statement, even joy. And um, I'm recognizing that I have the ab ability to impact a space, to like change a temperature, to set a tone. And I don't have to accept what has been set for me. Um, mm -hmm. If the only thing I can do in the midst of this very, very oppressive space, especially as like a black queer woman, 
is like express myself very openly, then that's what I'll do. So I, I cry anywhere I feel called to cry. I laugh as much as I can. Um, I hug and, and hold and touch the people I love and, and I try to talk out and speak to the trees and the animals and like just engaging with the community that is that is here um, on this land, on this land that has been stolen and has like such a long history of just like so so much death and 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 so much pain under the very clear umbrella of an academic institution like this isn't pre-Stanford this is like the suffering came when the building started when the tearing things down and, and excavating when that started and it's felt like you walk onto this campus and you feel like oof um and so I I if when I feel myself starting to mute myself I, I now have developed a practice of asking myself why, and the answer tends to be because I feel oppressed by whiteness, I feel stared at by whiteness, I feel perceived in a way that like feels very violent all the time. And then I try to release that and not hold that in my body because it's not mine to hold. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I laugh at it, but for a long time it was just crying and recognizing that there's like power in that crying. Um, affirm the like um, speaking to the life in the community the the nature that is already present on this land as well and for me a lot of times when I feel like I can't change anything at all it's like that's where my refuge is and then also for me there was a lot of crying there still is actually I'm pretty like a teary person but um, I've been feeling this movement uh, very strongly towards a different kind of release through joy and like pleasure um, and that's really what I've been feel what I've been feeling moved um, to develop for myself recently um, I don't really have a lot to add on like the healing part of this campus because again I haven't really been here for that long but I just it did shock me after being here for a month or two when I left campus for the first time how much of a weight was off my shoulders it just like I felt untethered for the first time and I hadn't even realized the the weight that just being here and I was having a great like I was I was enjoying my first quarter but just something about this place is so dampening and I just thought that was it's so concerning because every time I leave I feel it again and I'm like how have I been feeling for the past like four weeks if this is the first time I'm actually feeling like I can breathe? Um, and then there's just something about this place and this land and just how pervasive that feeling is. And it's all, everyone I talk to, um, all my friends are like queer and, and like racialized and we all feel this like, yeah, intense dampening and like muting of what we can feel when we're here. And it was wild. I'm really uh, responding to what everyone is saying right now in, in total affirmation. And so many of the times I feel that I have asked for what I need or asked for a boundary against what I do not need, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm made to feel crazy yeah. uh, or needy. Mm -hmm. um, and. I had the great luck of meeting some key administrators who I identified as real allies, 
people in the vice provost's office who wouldn't make me feel crazy or needy for saying, I need a single room. I need to be able to be in a part of campus that feels safe in terms of where I live. And thanks to some luck and also some work from me and from other people in advocating for that, um, one of the safest places for me, uh, the place I really think of as my as my home right now is, is just plainly my room. Mm -hmm. And um, one way in which I feel that I'm not able to just survive but thrive is by taking my space so seriously and taking myself seriously in that space. Um, every week I, I do what I need to purify that room. Sometimes it's a lot. Um, and I used to allow the voices of me telling me that I was crazy to creep into my head and say, this is just you killing time, this is you procrastinating. And then I realized all these mundane acts of cleaning and purification are actually me deigning to say that despite all of this bullshit happening around me, yet it's possible for me to be here in my fullest sense. Me having the room clean and purified as I need it, as, a, as the spiritual place that I need it, to have my altar with my Buddhas on it in the way that I need it to, is that, is that persistence of joy, mm. as everyone else has talked about. Yeah. Um, I really resonate with what you were saying about taking your needs in your room seriously and making it a, a sacred place, because I definitely do think from time to time when I'm cleaning my, after like a, a couple of rough days and I haven't done that much work for school and there are things that are important for my well-being now or in the future that I need to get around to. But the first thing I, I can manage myself to do, get myself to do, is clean my room and put everything in its place and make my room feel cozy for me again. And I think now matter framing it in that way is, is really helpful because I do take my, my space seriously and my relationship to the objects I have in my room has been one of the most meaningful mm. and my mental health has, well, it's, it's like a back and forth between like medication and therapy so that I can get to a place where I can manage my room. Mm. But the, the relationship between my mental health and my room has been something that really showed me that once I've managed to make my room somewhere where I want to be, yeah. it was a lot better for, for my well-being overall. So I guess another question I have in terms of like queering spaces, maybe thinking about the different spaces you partake in now, whether it's academically or maybe professionally, artistically, um, religious communities, what would queering those spaces look like to you? Um, I'm an artist and my connection to my art and my spirituality have always been in sync with each other. The, the more art I make, the closer I feel to spirit. And for that reason, that is an environment that means so much to me. and. Mm -hmm. The question you're literally asking right now is my thesis, my honors thesis, oh, wow. thesis question, which is um, 
essentially I'm exploring liberating modes for black women and black gender marginalized people to engage with cinema as, as creators but as well as audience members and in, in doing this work and, and, and asking this question of like what does it mean to queer this space and, and this process that is extremely extremely capitalistic extremely extremely like phallic and phallic centric and yes. just the way like that top-down structure of creating films um there being a director and there being bodies and you're just a body on screen um mm -hmm. particularly thinking about like race-based films in which the director is typically a white man but all the bodies on screen oh. are of color are black and are uh, off now becoming more and more queer but mm -hmm. it's like who is constructing this gaze right mm -hmm. um and i feel like my my first instinct at Stanford when asking this question, my sophomore year, I um, worked with another two other students and we created a film collective um, mm -hmm. called Restorative Film Collective oh, here. Yeah, cool um, <laughs> but our, our entire approach to this was this is a collective. So when we make films, mm -hmm. it is we all come together as a group and people who are drawn to writing will write, people who are drawn to working behind the camera will work behind the camera, people who want to try being in front of the screen will try an emphasis on process yes. as a collective experience. Um, and as someone who's going into film as my career post Stanford and, and stepping into like the industry of it all and recognizing that that is not the reality that exists at all, there is a hierarchy. Um, I've recognized that my spiritual approach to my art, like my queering of, of the industry, my queering of that space is very much centering a community voice, centering a group, centering like that mentality. Yes. Um, and I just think it's, to queer a space, like to do anything is a community effort and, and that's everything to me. Thank you so much for bringing in that community, the Restorative Film Collective. And it's very timely what you're saying now because something I'm struggling with as well, but no matter how much theory I read or how much work I do, there's still a part of me that's afraid that I'm still colonized by this gaze. And like, it terrifies me that I may reproduce it in my work somehow. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear other people's experiences or, you know, with queering spaces or if you have this fear as well um, about whether or not you are reproducing this gaze towards yourself, towards others, um, what you do to kind of um, keep yourself accountable. Yeah. I definitely have um, some thoughts about this. Uh, this is kind of like a really big part in why I'm now kind of not really sure where I am spiritually. So I, I grew up Orthodox Christian and it was really big in my family, specifically Greek Orthodox. And um, so throughout high school, as I started becoming more aware of how like institutionally queerphobic and anti-black the Greek Orthodox Church was, which doesn't come as a surprise, um, for a while I was doing a lot of work and trying to figure out how to fix that in my small community, in my small church, and like how to kind of try and queer that space. And I obviously, I mean, I I didn't really know how, and I was trying while also, like, not being out to, like, my family, and it was a really difficult, and, like, I didn't think I wanted to be in a space where I had to make it, I had to queer it, you know? Like, I didn't, I realized, mm -hmm. um, 
I realized I couldn't take on that responsibility, which is why I'm now trying to find a place to put my like spirituality and religion that is already welcoming and encompasses who I am and what I believe. But I do think that like specifically refuge has kind of like has like it's there because there is still a lot of the helplessness there, but there's also just so much more hope in me now. Um, I, I've thought of this myself too. If like, is it worth the labor to go back in a community and try to queer it, or is it better to create something new altogether? And I found for myself, what's been most uh, vitalizing is creating a community from scratch with people who I trust and feel safe with. Um, at the same time, there is like a deep longing for those spaces that I've participated in the past to be something different. So I, I feel that, yeah. Um, I, on this question of, you know, creating or reforming a question, I'm so thankful to what, what you just said. I was never really formally a part of Chinese Baptist church churches, but uh, the only other person who was Chinese on my street growing up um, was a very staunch Baptist, and she was definitely trying to proselytize me, which you know is wrong, I think. But she also had a good motive in it, which is that she wanted me to feel like I had a Chinese community where I lived, which I didn't feel at the time. Um, but I very quickly realized that this was a violently homophobic and transphobic space. Mm. And I'm not saying anybody's minds are unchangeable, but I realized at some point that there comes a time in which I, I, I wanted to change direction. And, you know, many years later, then, you know, maybe that found itself expressed a little bit in my hope to create refuge. Mm. But one thing I've thought about a lot in refuge is there have been some movements in many religious institutions across the world to create like LGBTQ affirming spaces or spaces informed by racial justice within those institutions. And sometimes those are great successes and other times it's such an act of papering over and bypassing. Just because you have a so-called rainbow sangha or queer-friendly Bible reading doesn't mean that harm has been addressed or that life has been restored. Um, if anything, it, sometimes it causes even more violence because it makes it even harder for people to identify what's truly been happening and what may still be happening in these spaces. Yeah. Hmm. It's making me feel like the most important thing. And I feel like I've had a kind of learning curve as well, where sometimes I try entering certain spaces for me, they're Buddhist ones. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe things can be different. And then I try and then I come out feeling very like frustrated or angry or hurt. And then I, that's the learning experience that I've gained that, okay, maybe I know, or like, not for me, or I need space. Maybe someone else wants to do this work, but I can't. And that's a, I don't know my limits yet. I always still have this hope. So I always like find myself trying, but then I came at a, a point this year where I almost wanted to uh, leave my own religion actually, 
and that that's pretty big um so yeah i i feel this movement to kind of honor my own energy and like what i have the capacity for and i, I hear that from both of you as well and i think that's very important in terms of the long run and what's sustainable for us and you know what can give us joy and a sense of like true belonging and community if, if it's like too much energy being taken up it's it's not right and it's not sustainable at all definitely learned that the hard way I was wondering if we could go around and folks sharing like maybe what kind of just recently some of you shared a bit but like art or theorist or like poet or quote or anything that you've found really inspiring for you maybe in this particular moment of your life or something that's like you're thinking about sitting through um, I didn't read this quote recently but it immediately came to my mind and it comes from the late Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. It's in his book, The Heart of the Buddhist Teaching. When I read this quote, uh, it's not a particularly emotional section of the book either, so it, it was very striking to me that I had this reaction, but immediately when I read it, I tears like flooded out. And the quote is, the wave does not need to die to become water. She is already water. Um, and as I thought about it, I realized one of the reasons why that quote was so important to me is that it immediately showed me that I don't need to look outside of myself or to become something other than myself to get free mm. or to achieve that final liberation. I don't need to go past or let go of my queerness or my Chineseness or anything else because all of that is, is part of what the final project is. It's all already there. This is, I thought it was a bell hooks quote, but it's bell hooks quoting Jack Cornfield. But he says, all other spiritual teachings are in vain if we cannot love. Even the most exalted states and the most exceptional spiritual accomplishments are unimportant if we cannot be happy in the most basic and ordinary ways. And I feel like that's really been reflective of like, just waking up in one day and being happy in an ordinary and basic way is part of capital F freedom or capital L liberation. Um, I feel like the thing I was going to talk about relates to that a little bit. Um, it's the poem uh, Revolutionary Dreams by Nikki Giovanni. I just, for, for so long, especially since I've come here and I've just had to exist in this place for however many months it's been, very draining I realized like for the first time I need to make it like a priority to think about what I'm feeling and being very intentional with the thoughts that I'm thinking and the places where I am and the people I'm surrounding myself with and just my emotions need to have a bigger priority in like understanding all the parts of me and starting like my my queerness and my blackness and my like femininity and my spirituality and my just like existence this poem has definitely changed the entire way i understand what it means to like feel good immediately when you asked this question i immediately knew so i'm gonna do first thought best thought um but alice walker in in search of our mother's gardens black womanist prose just the line of 
what did it mean to be a black woman and an artist in our grandmother's time? And I remember when I first, it makes me want to cry, when I first um, read it, it just like, sent a chill down my spine. Um, to feel called to create in harmony with other people is such a beautiful thing that all people truly should get to experience. And the quote goes on to say, like, the answer is cruel enough to stop the blood because what did it mean to, to literally not have ownership over your own body, let alone to be able to give birth to to art and to create it is something that really haunts me. So to have the ability to create and to have the urge and to, to in the same way that I love in the way that I love and I express that freely is just like a really beautiful thing. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm just very, um, I'm practicing my gratitude. And ever since I was like a baby, just practice that through art and expression of art for, for my grandmothers and, and the women I come from for for all of that, um, just a very special thing. Well, maybe um, one last question. Um, so it's a two-part question. The first is, it's for me, it's kind of a, like a practice of compassion. So you can either imagine like maybe a version of yourself in the future speaking back to you right now and what they might say to help support you in this moment. Or you can think of yourself in this moment speaking back to a younger version of yourself and maybe someone who's facing similar challenges, difficulties, joys, finding their path and think about what you would say to them um, and then the second part of that is just what is your collective aspiration for this community that has been created? Uh, what's your aspiration going forward to another community who may transition into this very odd, contradictory space and also be seeking refuge? And I guess I could start by saying something I'm imagining, well, for me, it's both the older self and myself now speaking back. Um, I think I would tell myself that things get really hard and a lot of times I might have to face things alone and I'll feel alone, but that I'm not alone and I'm always deeply loved, even if there isn't the expression of that in my immediate surrounding. And also to create, despite all the obstacles against me. Um, and my aspiration for refuge, as when I first entered refuge during the Zoom pandemic year, would be that this interconnectedness and love grows into a beautiful tree that gives shade for others far beyond what we can experience, but that will provide that comfort for those who we may not know in the future. For speaking to my younger self, um, 
like the first and most important thing I would I would try to say is it seems completely fucking impossible that this will be true, but life is gonna feel good. <laughs> like being alive will be good. Your your body and your mind and your heart will feel good. And you'll discover that that seed was always inside of you. And I really aspire for refuge to continue growing and become unbounded by the limitations of, 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 of Stanford, of the institution in which it was conceived. I mean, maybe it's never even quite been a true child of this institution, but I hope that soon, here and beyond, literally and symbolically, it can too become free. <laughs> And in that way, be able to engender more freedom for others. I can go. Um, I'm going to speak from the perspective of like my older self was talking to me and what I hope she would say. Um, which is that you are an individual who isn't defined by the relationships that you have or the people who love you or the people who don't love you or the people who accept you or don't accept you, you're not defined by anything material. You're not defined by, you're not even defined by how you feel. You, you don't need to do anything and you're still a person that deserves to be. Mm. Um, and I hope older, my older self is very excited to see how I have grown into that person and how I've started to respect the fact that I don't need any outside thing to dictate who I am or what I deserve um, and that I have started to understand that especially in relationships you are a full person and it that's like the bottom line. Um, and what I aspire for refuge, I just, I want this to continue being a place where you can come and you can feel safe and you can feel and how allowing yourself to feel like adds to that learning. Um, we don't really get that a lot here where it's like your emotions and your feelings are a part of the learning process. And I feel like that's something I really hope refuge continues to like be a space for. I think if I, if I could give my younger self anything, I would just tell her that I love her. And I think in not giving her advice and not giving her direction, I hope that I would have reflected that I already have a lot around me that I can go off of. Um, that love was would, would have startled me um, because at the time I didn't I didn't love myself. I could so for me to love myself and love even this version of myself is is a long ways from where I was. Um, and I and for my inspiration for this place, I think I aspire to carry refuge and cultivate refuge wherever I go. Um, I'm nervous about next year 
I'm nervous that wherever I end up being won't be as queer friendly as Stafford is for me because like I found all my queer friends here and I hope that I'll find other people and I know queer people are everywhere and they're like always managing to survive and thrive and I just hope to stumble upon them and find refuge again. I think one thing I would tell my younger self is that I'm proud of her and not for any reason or condition, um, just that she deserves it. I think an aspiration of mine for refuge is, I guess, like all these talks are so useful and one day I wonder if refuge could be some type of class. I also think I aspire personally to bring this energy of like honest, genuine and caring curiosity with me wherever I go to trust that queer people are surviving wherever it is I go. I'm also nervous about next year and the new environment, the new state I will find myself in. I just hope to bring faith with me, both in my environment and in myself. Um, I believe I would tell my younger self that commitment to loving is, like, to me, the goal in life is just to, like, love. Because I was born to, like, a really special love with my grandma. And to just, like, find that anywhere I go. And I lost that for a bit at Stanford, but I would say through the quarantine and coming back this year... I've reconnected to that absolute commitment to love and to showing up in love. Um, and that doesn't always necessarily look like a, a happy, positive interaction because there's a lot of accountability and there's a lot of care in loving others and loving yourself. And when you can show up, when you can show up as your 22 year old self and show up as your 10 year old self, 15 year old self, that's a very precious thing. And that requires a space of love. Um, so in, in, and seeking to create that, um, and actually I find places that are living in that as well. Um, and I think telling myself that would have been really impactful for me growing up. Thank you. I, I think you already are that love. Like, I feel like it's like, you know. Um, those are the questions, but overall I just really want to thank all of you for showing up today in this space and engaging so lovingly with each other and with me this is our first time kind of having a conversation together like this so i'm i'm really really grateful for each and every one of you and i really wish you so many blessings in your journey ahead into the unknown and i kind of trust also that you all are going to be okay and i want to thank mata also for uh creating these beautiful spaces and allowing me to partake in them and benefit in them and contribute. So yeah, may you all be happy and well and joyful. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.